think we're okay. So uh, I just want to say I'm, I'm absolutely pleased to be with you again. It's a wonderful atmosphere of worship in this church. To, uh, it's lovely to see folks on Zoom as well. Uh, welcome to our service. And, um, and folks that will listen to uh, this message online at a later date. I'm at Davenport Road Methodist Church in Whitney, uh, where I've been here before. It's amazing. You see, the thing is, it's, it's one thing to be asked to come to a church for once, first time, but to be asked to come back again and even again is quite, is quite an honour, so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. It's a wonderful, they've got a, I'm, I'm quite envious actually, I mean they've got a wonderful big building, you know, lots of space and we're a bit cramped sometimes at Westcott in our little chapel and, um, and they've got a wonderful worship band. Uh, you know, uh, which really lifts the spirits, and I absolutely love it. Um, this morning I've been asked to uh, speak from really starting a new series about Jacob, and this is God's promises to Jacob, and those of you at home, um, it's Genesis 28 and verses 10 to 20. God's promises to Jacob. I begin by asking you a question. <clears throat> Do you know the meaning or the significance of your name? Yes. I did, but I'd forgotten. Yes. Some... <laughs> I, had, I looked at my name. It was rather nice, actually. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Um, but uh, it was quite good. Anyway, Jacob means usurper. Not a very nice name. But then he was not a very nice person. That's exactly what he was. Jacob had cheated his brother, you know the story, I'm sure, out of his birthright. He had cheated him from his father's blessing, and he was fleeing from home because he was terrified uh, his brother would seek revenge and kill him. He was in fear of his life. So his mother, Rebecca, who had actually instigated the subterfuge, I can only imagine he was the favourite favorite son or something, um, which resulted in this theft of his brother's birthright and his father's blessing, she hatched a plan and sent Jacob to her family home in Haran to seek out a wife there of her own people. At the same time, I think, to get him out of Esau's sight. So the setting for our scripture today was that journey. Jacob left Beersheba, it says, and set out for Haran. He travelled until nightfall, until it was dark. He was keen, I guess, to put as much distance between himself and his brother as possible. And get this, he used a stone for a pillow. Went to sleep. He must have been tired. He must have been exhausted. Try using a stone for a pillow. I don't know about you, but I find in order to get to sleep, I need the right pillow. A comfortable pillow, not too hard, not too soft. Shades of the three bears. Can be a problem, you know, on holiday. Because you never know, do you? if the pillows or indeed the beds are right for you. I remember one holiday uh, that we had in Spain, this is some years ago now, we were bird watching, Tony, in the Doniana <coughs> Nature Reserve, southwest of Seville, near the Portuguese border. But I'd chosen the hotel because it looked out onto marshes and lakes with the most amazing variety of waders, ducks, geese, etc., etc., that I'd ever seen. It was a wonderful position, but of course, 
we never knew what the beds would be like. Um, We've never tried to sleep on such hard beds and pillows before or thankfully since. I think Jacob slept through sheer exhaustion. He slept and he dreamed. Do you remember your dreams? If you can, do they make any sense? Mine rarely do. A couple of nights ago, I dreamt of a cousin that I haven't seen for years. Why? I can see his face so clearly. Uh, Nothing else. No conversation or anything. But I do remember that. There are, beside Jacob's dream, many and of great significance in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. In the Gospels, I quote from Matthew chapter 1, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. Significant name, if ever there was one, means saviour, because he will save his people from their sins. That surely must be one of the most significant dreams ever given ever recorded as it affects the salvation narrative, the birth of Jesus himself. And then there were the wise men. They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, but to go home a different way. And the wife of Pilate comes to mind. She had a dream. She was warned in a dream that Pilate should have nothing to do with the blood of Jesus because he was a righteous man. Sadly, that dream was ignored. And it's interesting to learn today through the work of Open Doors and others that the Lord still uses dreams to break into people's lives, to get their attention. There are recorded instances of Muslim people in the Middle East being converted by meeting Jesus in a dream. Isn't that extraordinary? I dream a lot and remember little of what I dream. But I had one dream, however, which, with benefit of hindsight, changed the course of my life. I don't know the exact date of it. It would have been in the early 80s. My father had died quite young, sadly. He had a stroke. My mother, brother and myself consulted on what to do with the farm. This is at Westcott, where I still live. Hazel and I, my wife and I, have been doing B&B as a sideline in the house we'd built next to the chapel. Some of you have been to Westcott. And we'd been doing B&B there for around 10 years, just, letting, just two letting bedrooms, but it was quite profitable compared with the farming anyway. So we looked into building an extension and making it our main business as we had together decided to sell the land. However, we discovered that the fire regulations and other things were such that it would be very difficult and very costly. One night, it came to me that we should build a completely new purpose-built guest house next door in the, in the farmyard, um, which had become redundant, and sell our existing house to finance, finance it. The rest, as they say, is history. We've been able to continue to live in the village where I was brought up, earn a living, through to retirement two or three years ago, and help maintain Christian worship and witness in the little chapel, which was just next door. At the time, I don't think we realised it, 
but it must have been a big part of God's plan for our lives. Hazel always gets worried when I don't sleep well. (laughs) (laughs) To return to Jacob then, what a dream he had. Jacob's ladder was a ladder up to heaven with angels coming up and down on it and the Lord was at the top of the ladder and he spoke to Jacob. God renewed the covenant promises that he'd given to Jacob's father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham. In spite of Jacob's Jacob's deviousness and uh, cheating on his brother, that promise was still going to be made to him. What divine grace and mercy that was. The promise to make of him a great nation and that nation to be a blessing to others. That promise, as all promises, of course, of God, was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was a Jew, but he brought salvation to Jew and Gentile alike. All who turn in repentance and faith to him, irrespective of background or nationality, are saved, and that includes you and me. What's more, he spoke into and gave Jacob a promise relating to his present circumstances. In verse 15 we read this, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you are and I will bring you back to this land. Remember, Jacob was travelling away from the promised land and perhaps he didn't really know how it would all work out. I will not leave you until I have done everything I have promised for you. As I say, given the uncertainty of Jacob's future, future, what an amazing promise that was. And he makes that promise to every one of us. I am with you until the end of the age. So Jacob clearly met with God. Surely, he said, God is in this place. And I was not aware of it. I didn't know it. How awesome is this place? We've talked about an awesome God. This is no other, he says, than the house of God, the gate of heaven. He took the stone he'd used as a pillow, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on it, and renamed the place Bethel, which means the house of God. Could you name this church Bethel, the house of God, a place where God has set his name? where he is honoured and where he is glorified, a place where all who come meet with the Lord and say how awesome is this place. One thing I would like us to notice at this point, Jacob was not searching for God. There was no record of a prayer for help or strength. Jacob was not searching out for God. But God in his mercy and his grace was searching for Jacob. Jacob was not worthy of God's salvation, neither are we. But the Lord comes searching for us, like the stories in the Gospels. The one about the lost sheep, Jesus tells of the shepherd going out to seek and to save the lost sheep. Jacob didn't know it at this point, but he was a lost sheep being sought by God. We know that the ladder to heaven, the portal, the gateway, is Jesus himself. There is no other way, Scripture says. No other name given amongst men whereby we can be saved but through the name of Jesus.
On Calvary's cross, Jesus took on himself the penalty for our sin, which separates us from a holy God, providing forgiveness and opening the way to heaven. So the moment Jesus died, you'll remember, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. A wonderful symbol of how God reaches out to us and we can respond to him in repentance and faith and enjoy a loving and intimate relationship with God as our Father. Perhaps this dream represented the first significant experience of God for Jacob. I wonder if you reflect and think back in your life, if you can remember times that were very important, very significant to you. Times when you felt you'd met with the Lord in a very, very special way. Hopefully many times. Times when you felt you heard him speaking to you. Perhaps calling you to trust him, to love him and to follow him. I was brought up in a loving home, both my parents, deeply committed Christians, and I was taught about Jesus from my mother's knee. I accepted Jesus into my life from a very early age, and I believe I grew slowly but surely in my faith. I don't remember one specific time when I could say I was converted, probably too young. I remember one time when we were doing B&B in the early days, and we used to advertise in the Christian Herald, the Methodist Recorder, and the Evangelical Times. So we had a variety of Christians. <laughs> of course, they were very committed people. It was a great blessing, and we had wonderful and encouraging fellowship. We shared a lot of conversation, as you can imagine, over coffee in the evening. I remember one chap from somewhere in the London area who shared the circumstances of his conversion. He had been saved from drink and drugs, a very bad lifestyle. When he gave his life to Christ, it was transformed. I remember saying to him, that's, that's wonderful. My experience is so ordinary being brought up in a Christian home that I sometimes wonder if I'm a genuine Christian at all. He said, Tony, never underestimate the blessing of being brought up in a Christian home. You've been saved from such a lot. There are things I have done that I will regret for the rest of my life. Two or three years ago, before lockdown, I guess, I took a neighbour down to attend a Lent course at Holy Ascension Oddington. It's been taken by Reverend David Cook, whose ministry was, we enjoy in both church and chapel. Some of you may have listened to some of his uh, messages online. David and his wife Leslie live at Borton on the Water. He's a retired Anglican minister. His last parish was Chipping Camden. We didn't know him in those days. One week, David spoke about Nicodemus and Jesus teaching about being born again. He said something like this, you may not be sure whether you are born again, but if Jesus was to stand in front of you now and say, come and follow me and join my gang, then you are truly born again because only the Holy Spirit would lead you to make that response. And on the way home, my neighbor said to me, Tony, that was wonderful. You know, I've never been quite certain if I was a Christian. Now I know I am. Something I will never forget. I've just been reading a book entitled The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, a journalist, an American journalist, all about his personal investigation 
of the evidence for Jesus. And if you have a friend who has some doubts about Jesus, about his death, his resurrection, some, something like Thomas, um, I can recommend this book. It's quite deep. Um, he does interviews for people and takes on who, who take on, explain certain aspects of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And through his investigations, he comes to faith himself. He's one of those people who has to be persuaded totally in his mind. Um, but what touched me, and I've enjoyed it, it's taken a bit of reading, but I have finished it. Um, I've, I've, I've found it really good. But do you know what touched me more than anything? It's, it's just a, a, a paragraph towards the end, which does uh, a couple of paragraphs. Sure enough, over time, as I endeavoured to follow Jesus' teaching and open myself to his transforming power, my priorities, my values and my character were and continue to be gradually changed. Increasingly, I want Jesus' motives and perspectives to be my own. To paraphrase Martin Luther King Jr., I, I may not yet be the man I should be, or the man with Christ's help I someday will be. But thank God I'm not the man I used to be. Maybe that sounds mystical to you, I don't know. Not so long ago it would have been to me. But it's very real to me now and to those around me. In fact, so radical was the difference in my life that a few months after I became a follower of Jesus, our five-year-old daughter, Alison, went up to my wife and said, Mummy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. I thought that was lovely, you know? The transformation, the difference that Christ can make in our lives when we accept him from us for ourselves. So Jacob had a very real experience of God through his dream, and he called the place Bethel, the house of God. However, he hadn't at this point completely put his trust in God and the promises of God. He starts to introduce conditions. He uses the word if. If God will be with me, etc., then he will be my God and I will return a tenth, a tithe of all you give me. God always keeps his promises and Jacob had yet to learn that. At this moment, even after he met with God and heard his voice, he was still kind of doubtful. He was hedging his bets. If he didn't trust God completely, is it perhaps because he was not trustworthy himself, he found it difficult to trust anyone else, including God, who he didn't yet know very well? As you go through this story, as you will, of Jacob, I'm reminded of the scripture which says, what you sow, you will also reap. Jacob worked seven years for his uncle Laban to win the right to marry Rachel, the daughter he had fallen in love with, only to be tricked into marrying the other daughter, Leah, and having to serve another seven years for the girl he loved. How much Jacob thought about God and thought about what he'd done through all those years, we don't know. But he did meet up with God again, and I guess you will get, that, get to that later, so I'm not going to say much about it. But just to say that in that encounter, after feeling he was wrestling with God all night, his name was changed to Israel, which means a prince of God. His name was changed, his character was changed. That name became the name of a nation and still is to this very day. Had a very turbulent history. What a contrast to Jacob the usurper 
In the end, Jacob became a man of faith, a man who believed and trusted God completely. So in Hebrews we read this, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leant on the top of his staff. God kept his promises to Jacob, who became Israel, a prince of God, founder of a nation, and God keeps his promises to us. Let us all trust him completely. He has promised never to leave us or to forsake us. He will be with us in this life and the next if we put our trust in him. As the old hymn says, let us praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come.